Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Uh, We are... Uh, in a brand new little book this morning, so if this is your first Sunday, welcome, welcome. Uh, last week, you got to hear from my pastor, Pastor John McDermott from uh, Lawrence, Kansas. I was speaking there, and he spoke here. So hopefully, if you were here, uh, you got a, a lot out of that message. It was pretty raw and bold, and uh, hopefully, breaking up with the world is a thing uh, that that we took serious. And uh, it's hard because, you know, our love for the world kind of runs deep. And it, uh, as we grow and walk with God, we sometimes realize that maybe that love for the world is a little bit deeper than we first assumed. And so uh, with uh, that, I just wanted to wrap up just one kind of thing from that message last week. So if this is your first Sunday, sorry about this. But, um, you know, there is, there is a lot of things going around, going on around us, uh, even just in the last three weeks. Some crazy, kind of wild stuff happens. You know, it is here uh, that we encourage, just talk about it. Talk about what you're seeing. Talk about, uh, you know, what is happening. And get, talk about it in such a way that not only are you seeing kind of the problem, because that's maybe the easiest thing to see. Hey, here, I'm concerned about X. Right? And there's, you know, we could probably come up with 30 different things we could put on uh, for Acts. Uh, but it is that, that as we're talking about it, as we're, as we're uh, meditating on it in our own imagination, that we get to the place that we get past the problem and into, but God is alive on planet Earth. That there is a living God with a plan and purpose. He wins in history and He wins in the future. And that I need to find myself in this kind of place of faith, not seeing the problem, not seeing like, man, all these evil, corrupt people, man, they came out of nowhere. It's like, well, let's talk about that. Let's not get overwhelmed by that, and let's try to see what God is doing in this moment, in this season, so we don't get overwhelmed. We don't get kind of like teed up like the media wants us to in kind of fear or anxiety, but just as followers of Jesus, that we're kind of like, Man, we're kind of anchored in truth. We're anchored in how we understand how this whole setup is. We understand that the fallen evil world system has, from every generation since the dawn of mankind, seek to steal the seed of God, seek to steal the destiny of the image bearer that you are. And it's, uh, and it's on us, that, as Jesus' followers, that we, after having broken up with the world, now become prophetic voices to the world, bringing God's life, God's joy, God's abundant life and truth uh, to bear uh, in and around our lives. Amen? So, uh, which perfectly leads us to this next book in 1 John. 1 John. We're going to dive in the next four weeks. We're going to dig into 1 John, and it's going to complement really well what we're doing in our life groups with John 14 through 17, we'll see how these tie together here in a second. But I'm really excited for what God's going to do in and through us in this journey through this simple yet profound book of 1 John. So let's pray, and then we'll get a little background before we dive in. Father, 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you with all the noise and the confusion and the fear and the anxiety that, Lord, we are surrounded by every day. God, that we could come to you and find an anchor to our soul. God, we can find direction. God, we can find peace of mind. Father, we can find wisdom for this hour. Father, we can connect with the living God. And so, Father, we come here wanting to connect with you and your word. Lord, we pray that your spirit, God, would take over and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, a little background. I like, we like kind of doing a little backgrounds before we dive into books, just to kind of get us a little context before we kind of dive in. Like, what's this, what's this book all about? Why was it written? Who wrote it? When? What was it all about? So we're going to get a little background. It's good practice to do every time you kind of dive in, be, into a new book, get the context. Why was it written? Who's writing it? Who's, who are they writing it to? What was the problems or the issues that uh, precipitated that letter or book? Most likely, this, this uh, letter of 1 John was written in between 85 and 90 AD, so well after Jesus' death and resurrection. The Apostle John was the oldest living apostle. He was the one apostle that was not martyred. Uh, all the other ones were martyred. Uh, John, after the fall of the Roman temple in 70 AD, uh, John was the one that was uh, Jesus gave stewardship of his mom to watch after. And right around... Uh, uh, history kind of tells us that probably Jesus' um, mother Mary kind of passed away a little bit before the fall of the temple. But right around then, John moves to Ephesus. And he finds his, him, himself in Ephesus for many years. And uh, at, the, at around 85, 86, John is then exiled to this little island outside. There's actually a little map I think we got. Ooh, it's in modern-day Turkey. And uh, we can see kind of on this bottom corner that it says Antioch. And that became kind of the main mission sending agent or kind of church for the first century church. And, and John finds himself over here at Ephesus uh, on the Greece is a little, a little to the, to the uh, left, thank you, uh, of the map. And uh, anyway, here's Ephesus. This is where he's camping out. And he's writing these letters kind of at the end of his life. Uh, in John 14 through 17 in life groups, we're, we're looking at Jesus' parting words to his disciples. Well, this is John's parting words to his. And so we dive in uh, to 1 John, seeing that um, this message is, uh, this letter is sent to kind of the church at large. Uh, it wasn't really addressed to a specific church. It wasn't addressed just to his church in Ephesus. Uh, this, this letter was to be sent uh, corporate-wide. If you ever, uh, an impassioned office memo from headquarters, you ever get one of those? Uh, you know, just an impassioned office memo, like, hey, uh, the CEO, the boss, uh, the guy who has kind of the authority in this situation, he's saying, uh, he's saying some stuff here. And the message of 1 John is this. Know this. Get a hold of this. Grab a hold of this. May you walk well in this. May you know this. It repeats over and over and over again. It's John's cry to say, of all the things that you could get, please get this. He calls his listeners back to the basics of Christian life. 
which is living in truth, obedient living, and faithful devotion. This letter is a powerful exposition which focuses on the centrality of Jesus Christ, that he's both fully man and fully God, and he came in the flesh. He wasn't a spirit man, he came in the flesh. Salvation comes from him alone and not some mystical uh, experience or secret knowledge that one may have that could commune with God. No, this invitation is open to everyone. We find our first clue in chapter 2, verse 17, where there seemed to be a group of teachers and leaders in this church in Ephesus that had started developing a little bit different ideas as to who Christ was than the apostles. And they started, there is a, there is a thought, a camp, an idea that grew into what was known as, what's known as Gnosticism in the second century, but Kind of the, the, the roots of Gnosticism uh, is called docetism. And it's basically this general view that uh, all flesh and matter is evil. It's corrupted. It's broken. But anything spirit is pure and holy. A little bit Plato-esque in the sense of here's the ideals. But uh, this letter is in response to some of these teachers that were teaching at odds with what the apostles were teaching. And... Uh, this docetism, they pirated Christian motifs to propagate an understanding of salvation based upon secret knowledge. And these false teachings were throwing the people into massive confusion. This wasn't just happening in Ephesus, this was kind of happening all over Roman culture. And so John urges his readers to re refine their confidence in the truth of Christ. The rejection of the fallen evil world system to sharpen their obedience and to heighten their devotional intensity through love for God and love for one another. He ends with giving them a confident assurance of their eternal salvation, that if you stick in the truth that comes from us, you will know the living God. All the key ideas in this letter come from Jesus' parting words in John 14 through 17. It's kind of interesting. These kind of play together. His goal is to remind them and persuade them to stay true to what they already believe. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise. Now, as you read through this, uh, it's a little bit difficult. It's challenging to kind of walk through this because John writes in a particular interesting way. Uh, he, he's, he rarely sustains a clear line of argument for very too long. <laughs> He wanders from subject to subject, kind of unencumbered by discernible breaks. He, yet there's a pattern to this writing, and it's called amplification, or it's called symphonic writing. It, 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 after leaving a subject, he often returns to it in a different light. It's kind of circular and melodic. He's, first, he states these themes that he's trying to get across, then he contrasts them. He moves away from them, and then he revisits them back. But he says, know this 33 times in like five little chapters. It's know this, know this, this is the truth. He uses, lastly, he kind of uses tactile language. We have seen, we have touched. This is one that we have, we have looked upon with our own eyes. He uses tactile language to build his argument against these charlatans, these false teachers that had no knowledge of Jesus himself, 
They were just kind of coming up with some kind of false ideas as to his divinity. So some themes. As you read through 1 John, be alert to the apostles' frequent use of contrasts. It's kind of a book of contrasts. Light and darkness. Truth and falsehood. Love and hatred. Love for the world. Love for the Father. Christ, Antichrist. Children of God, children of the devil, righteousness versus sin, spirit of God versus spirit of Antichrist, life versus death. These themes volley back and forth all through this letter. And John states where he writes this letter in chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So he's writing to believers in these churches that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may have confidence that you have eternal life. That it isn't a mystery until you die that you are walking in eternal life. That you would know. That you would know this fellowship with God that you were born for. So our goal is that we travel through 1 John. That God would use it to water us and refresh our confidence in Christ. And intensify our desire for joy and fellowship. So... With that, that's the big intro. You guys ready? Let's dive in. All right, 1 John 1, 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen, we've heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Man, quite an unusual intro. An unusual introduction, unlike any other letter in the New Testament. He just dives right in. Usually there's kind of a little sign on, hey, it's me, Paul, and I'm writing to you, Timothy. None of that. He just dives right in. We are the witnesses of this living God, this life that came from God and came in the flesh before us. We have seen, we have touched him. We know him. As opposed to these haters, these kind of false teachers that are kind of coming against this teaching, let me tell you, they don't have the truth. We do because we've seen them and we've touched them. This life of God was made manifest to us and for our benefit. And he leads into this, right away, he leads into this vision of, man, we get to have fellowship with God. This is all about us getting to have fellowship with the living God. And when we connect to this, in our vertical connection to God, man, something else happens. Man, we connect to other brothers and sisters in Christ and God's family. There's this fellowship. There's this connection. Well, side note, when I was in college, when I went, first went to college, my kind of understanding was I was ignorant, ignorant little prideful little religious boy, and uh, I thought, you know, going to join a fraternity was kind of the way to go. And you're kind of sold that, man, these are the guys that you'll be with and just kind of like, man, it's all hogwash. 
When it comes to following Christ, there's nothing, couldn't even compare with the relationships of the dudes I'm walking with Christ on and all kind of like other little human relationships. Can't even compare. John was envisioning this type of community of God and fellowship with the Father, and it was giving his heart great joy. I'm seeing this. I'm seeing this happen. Not only are we experiencing it, but man, we're seeing a lot of other people experience the life of God. And it gives us great joy that seeing you in the same fellowship that we have. He goes on, verse 5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Man, this is 50 years after Jesus' resurrection and he was able to kind of have meditated on Jesus and his teachings for so long that he was able to kind of like reduce, kind of like, Man, if you could sum up God in one word, what would it be? Life. Or it would be light. In him there's no darkness at all. There's no duplicity. A lot of times the Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Egyptian gods, all of them would kind of present themselves in dual fashion. They would have a light side and they would have a dark side. And they would have people on the light side of their kind of cult And they would have people on the dark side of the cult, and they'd kind of present the light side as kind of like, hey, we're good people. But the farther you get in, the darker it gets. And and John is saying, in God is no darkness. He is pure light. Pure life. And he says, if we say we have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we're liars. And we're not living in the truth. It's kind of like a little two-by-four truth for us, huh? If we walk in the light, His blood cleanses us. We can delude ourselves in thinking that we're good and whole. We're kind of like sold on that message from the very beginning, that we're actually innately good, that, that, that really it's, it's kind of the systems, right? It's the systems that are evil. But man, human humans are naturally good. We delude ourselves. There's deception and lies on both sides of the road of God. There's legalism on one side to say, man, I'm going to live by every rule. And I'm going to judge myself by those rules. And I'm going to judge others. You better be living by those rules. And I'm going to judge myself based upon the others who don't live by those rules. And I'll feel good about myself. Hey, I'm good. I'm good. It's kind of like the Jerry Springer effect. Kind of my generation had this show called Jerry Springer. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw clips of it, but it was a clown show. I mean, they would tool these contestants, or not contestants, it was almost a contestant because there was a fist fight almost every show, but they would kind of like ramp these kind of like dysfunctional people up, whoa, dysfunctional people up, and then like send them out on stage and it was entertainment. And people would watch that show and I think to a certain degree it was like, hey, at least I'm not that bad, (laughs) right? At least my life isn't that jacked up. And we can kind of compare and contrast, and it's really easy for us to do this, because we as human beings do this, is that we can kind of compare and we can say, hey, I'm pretty good, actually. I haven't done X. I haven't done Y. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And so we can kind of like get in the good category. 
or we just kind of go on the other side of the road. Man, screw the rules. I'm just going to kind of live just as I want to live. I'm not going to live by any rule other than my own. And we can uh, get on that side and think that we're good because we aren't even throwing ourselves up against any standard. And yet it totally avoids one of the most common denominators throughout human history. That human beings are broken and sinful. All of us. All of us. All of us. No matter how good you are, no matter what kind of background you come from, guaranteed if you were put in the same circumstances and the people that you think are very violent, guaranteed that you would have the same exact human nature coming out of you than people that do other things than you. And if we think that if we're good and clean before a holy and living God, we're just deceiving ourselves in the truth is not in us. We are desperately wicked. We are broken. We are sinners. And we cause a lot of pain and anguish through the other people in our life because we're broken. Not only in our own life, there's dysfunction and chaos, but we bring a lot of dysfunction and chaos into the lives around us. We just happen to have different measurements as to like what's, what's really good and what's bad. But John here is saying, man, if you want to come to God, you've got to humble yourself. You can't come to God to say, hey, man, look at all the good things I'm bringing to your kingdom. It is, no, I am defunct. I am broken. There's nothing that I can do to heal my fracturedness. I try really hard, but it's just still fractured. Actually, the harder I try, the more fractured I get. So John says this, if we confess our sins, verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we have saved, we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. It's this common denominator of what type of people experience God. It's the humble. It's the, it's the ones that say, man, I got nothing to give. Man, I can kind of like have this nice little persona out in the world and kind of fake a lot of people. But inside, I know who I really am, and I know that I'm broken. Just admit it. Just admit it. It brings healing to your soul to just admit that you've got pride and rebellion, and it's standing in your way of experiencing life in God. It's hard for us to get there because we want to hang on. We love that world. We love that reputation. We love what we want to do with our own life and be God. Here's a question. How's your history with God? How's your history with God? We can arrogantly think we've got it, that it's under control, that I'm good. You hear these kind of excuses often. I'm good. I got it. I don't need anybody. The message John would say to you is repent and move forward in God. Come humbly to Him. To say, God, I'm broken. This is where I need you. He goes on, 1 John 2. We're going to get a little dabble in chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, oh, hey, that's us. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. Ooh, that's a big word. We're going to break it down. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
propitiation. Jesus satisfied the holy, just, and righteous wrath of God, of our sin, to the Father. How do we explain this? How do we envision this? Well, many years ago, outside of Los Angeles, in the 90s, there was a small town, and this town kind of decided to do their ticket system a little bit different. They had one highway that went through, and if you got pulled over, they would take you right to court. No, no pass go. They'd take you right to court, and the judge would see you 24-7 any time in the day. This is how this little small town worked. And uh, a policeman pulled over this 18, 19-year-old gal, and uh, she was speeding. She was caught red-handed. So she, uh, the policeman escorts her to the courthouse, and she gets in front of the judge. And uh, the judge uh, asks her, guilty, not guilty. Well, she's caught red-handed, so she says, Guilty. The judge brings down the gavel and says, I find you guilty. I have no clue what's wrong with this mic. I come up here during the week and test this out. And then it's like, man, right when you're preaching, you get a little grizzly grazzy. All right. So this judge says guilty and finds her $100. Then an amazing thing happened. Probably never happened before, maybe one or two times in the history of the American courts. The judge stood up, took off his judicial robe, laid it on the back of his chair, and walked down around in the front and stood next to this young lady. Out he took his billfold and paid her $100 fine. The whole court was stunned. What was the explanation of that? The explanation was this. The judge was her father. Now here's the situation. The father loved his daughter probably more than anybody else in the world, but he was a just judge. Think about that, a just judge. And therefore, he couldn't say, I love you so much, I know you didn't mean to do it, you're forgiven this time. What would everybody else in the court yell out? We want justice! No matter how much he loved her, because he was a just judge, he had to fine her $100. But... He loved her so much he was willing to set aside his judicial robes and come down and stand next to her as her father instead of seated before her as her judge. And he took the penalty upon himself. So no one could say, I want justice. The law, the requirements of the law were satisfied. You might say that you and I were brought before God and he brought us, sat us down and he asked, guilty or not guilty? And if we were truthful, we would say guilty I, we are a sinner. And he brings down that gavel and he says, I fine you. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. God loved us so much that you might say he stood up and he took off his royal robes and then set them across the back of his chair in the heavenly places and he came down in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And instead of standing before us as our judge, he stood next to us as our Savior. He took the penalty upon himself. He took the holy, just, righteous wrath of God upon himself for our wages. And when Jesus said it is finished, all the requirements of the law and the nature of God was satisfied. 
and it set him free to deal with us in love. That's propitiation. It's powerful. God loved you enough that he did something about it. And last three verses here, then we'll wrap up. By this we know we've come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly love the Oh, whoa. In him truly love the the love of God is perfected. In him, the true truly. In him truly. Let's emphasize the right right syllable. We know him. Says he abides in him. To what? Same way. says he abides in him to what same way he and if you abide with him how did Jesus walk he connected with the father dude this is insane okay let's see if we can fix this he connected with the father he ministered to others the freedom and the gospel and authority and power. He confronted the powers, noted from our kind of message last week. He confronted the powers. He exposed them. But he was also building a kingdom family to see others experience the redemption that Jesus offers to everyone who will humble themselves and see and believe what Jesus has done. Connecting with the Father, ministering to others, confronting the powers, and building God's family. That's a tall order, but he's asked us to do it. He trained his disciples to do it, and he's training us to do it in the here and now. He showed them how to live in the kingdom of God, and he's raising the bar on all of us in this generation that we wouldn't be kind of riding the fence, lukewarm, kind of liking the comfort of comfortable Christianity. It is no. It is I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I'm connected to the Christ of history, not to the connected to the American Jesus. And my connected to the history of Christ is that he ministered to people with the power and the authority of the Father. That he connected with the Father on a regular basis and he confronted the powers and he built a family. You might ask, how do I start? Where do I start with this? Anyone that has breath in their lungs can create a holy moment between you and the Lord. A holy moment. Not a holy day, not a holy hour, just a holy moment. Start there. And it's where you set aside self-interest. You set aside what you feel like doing, what you want to do, and you do exactly what you feel God is calling you to do in that moment. It could be on the, just the drive to work. I could have a holy moment. It could be that I'm just at my office and I could have a holy moment. And as I have that one holy moment, man, that can expand to two, three, four, five, and we begin walking as Jesus walked. So two primary questions as we close. Do you have fellowship with God? 
Do you have fellowship with God? That's a question only you and the Holy Spirit can answer. Do you have fellowship with the Father? If you're like, man, I I want to. Man, I, I feel like I had maybe in the past growing up, maybe in the church, but no, no, no. That's not the kind of life God has for you. God wants a fresh, vibrant, alive relationship with you. He wants you to have fellowship with him. And if that's you and you're like, man, I've never had fellowship with the Father, it's time to humbly come before him and say, God, I repent. I repent of my brokenness, this this fracturedness I can't do anything about. And so, God, I come to you. I humble myself and come before you to say, God, I want you to be my God. I want you to be in control. I want you to be my leader. I know that you're my forgiver and savior. And God, I thank you that you came down in that courtroom and stood next to me to say, not guilty, I'll take their punishment so that they can live in the abundant life that I live in. That's the abundant life that God wants you living in. So if that's you and you're like, man, I I don't think I've ever started walking with the Lord. Let's just kind of, let's just pray together. This will be kind of a two-part prayer, but in this first part, if that's you, don't miss your moment. Don't miss your moment. God brings certain moments at certain times of sensitivity, brings you right to the edge to say, son, daughter, come on, leave that world that that you're so in love with and fall in love with me. Get to know me. Become a disciple of my son, Jesus. And God, if that's us here, God, we just, we right now, we just don't hold anything back. God, we've given you excuses why not to give it all for you for years. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, if we don't know you, God, right now, we repent before you. And God, we humbly come into your presence to say, God, remake us, transform us. God, we ask that you would do a supernatural work in our heart. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, God. And if that's you, and that just, just something, just that conviction just hits you, I challenge you to tell people around you because you need community, you need encouragement, you need life. The world is not going to offer you the life of God. It tries to sell you that it is, but it never, it's like a mirage. It always leaves you thirsty. For the rest of us, are we walking as he walked? Are you walking as Jesus walked? It's this obvious question the text draws out. Are we walking as Jesus walked? Is there anything he's highlighting to you that you need to lean in on about it? So, Father, I pray that right now, Father, Lord, our hearts, we're your sons and daughters. God, we want to walk as Jesus walked. God, we don't want to... uh, sidetrack ourselves with a caricature or something that's short other than what you came to give your life for. This life, this communion, this fellowship with you, God, and this connectedness to your people, a camaraderie that our heart cries out for. Father, I pray that you would help us walk as you walked and let just the conviction of your Holy Spirit fall on the areas of our life that you have your finger on, that you have your grace on, and that, God, you want to bring us into transformation. So, God, just bringing a little little moment here. God, is there anything, God, that you're asking us to lean in on 
as we walk like you? Is it fellowship with the Father? Is it ministering your gospel? Is it confronting the powers? Is it building family, building kingdom family through our lives? Father, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen that, that you would uphold that, Lord, with your victorious right hand. Father, that you would put in us the very things that you need in us. Lord, I thank you that you're the author and finisher of our faith. God, you bring us into a finishing work. Father, all of us are kind of in process. And Lord, we humbly say, God, we want more. We want more of your life in us. We want more of you. So God, I just pray that you would remove the gravel out of our tank in Jesus' name. Lord, we repent of living a comfortable life. Lord, a, a, a half-hearted life. Lord, that's not what you made us to live. You made us to live wholeheartedly in you. So Lord, I just pray that your, your favor would be on this book as we walk through it. Lord, let your powerful truths transform and change us. God, we thank you for your life-giving word, that it is an anchor to our soul. And Father, it anchors us in a world that is broken because of sin. But Father, your gospel is the only thing that will reconcile man before God and man before each other. It's you. It's forgiveness. It's redemption in you. So Father, I pray that you would help us be confident in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.